Welcome to Light Church. We're so glad you could join us for this weekly message. We hope this message leaves you feeling inspired and equipped to be all that you were made to be. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee, he thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Hey Light Church, it's great to be with you this morning and I hope you've had an awesome Christmas despite it looking different than expected. So we've been reading that Jesus is at a celebration and I have honestly missed the fact that we usually gather as a church during our Christmas gathering. But I'm truly honoured this morning to be on this side of the camera to speak with you. And I pray that God uses me to speak his message and that your hearts and ears are open to receive it. Amen. So we started off by reading the story of Jesus turning water into wine. And this is found in John 2 verses 1 to 11. Now this is believed to be Jesus's first miracle on earth. And compared to some of the other stuff like healing the blind or raising people from the dead, you know, Jesus's standard stuff. It can seem quite insignificant, but honestly, reading around the passage, there is so much to it in terms of the symbolism and imagery used. And I'm not going to be able to go through all of it in this message because there's so much. So I just encourage you that after this, to read around it yourself. Like you can listen to me and trust I've done my research, but the gold is when you read the Bible for yourself when it clicks inside your own head, when you can understand it, when it's revealed in front of your own eyes. So I encourage you to take notes and have your Bible out during this message, because that's why the Bible is so important. It's God wanting a personal relationship with you so he can impact you and your life. So honestly, I'm excited for this message this morning. And what we're going to do, we're going to take the passage that I've just read and sort of split it off into two. So we're first going to look at verses 1 to 10 and go through all the details of how it points us to a bigger picture. And then we're going to take that one verse, verse 11, and hopefully show us that it shows us who Jesus is and what that means for us. So like I said, I'm excited for this message and what we can take out of it. So let's dive in and read John chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. So on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. 
Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. So there's a lot going on in these verses. And I think to truly understand the implications, we need to have a good understanding of the context that it's in. So back in ancient Israel, weddings happened slightly differently. So similar to modern day, weddings would have a long period of preparation and the man is expected to propose. But in ancient Israel, for the man to propose, he would go to the woman and her father with this fully written out detailed contract, like detailing how he's going to provide for her, what their married life is going to look like. And as well as this fully written out contract, he would also come with like a, a bride price. So literally a sum of money that showed the family how much their daughter was worth to him. Now, I know a lot of guys will be sweating in this moment, and so was I, but I'm glad it doesn't happen in this time. So literally, only if the father would approve at this moment, then the two of them could get married. So after the approval of this contract and this bride price, they would separate for 12 to 18 months, like not see each other. Like the wife-to-be would go away and just wait for the husband to return to get them to get married. Like not knowing well he'll return, but just wait in preparation. And then the groom would go away in this 12 to 18 months and actually build the house that they would go live in together. So it would take 12 to 18 months. Once he would finish building the house, then he would go get the wife. They would spend the next week together, just the two of them. And then the wedding party happens. So in nowadays, we usually have the wedding party at the start to celebrate the wedding and it lasts a day. But in ancient Israel, this happened at the end and it lasted for a whole week, so a whole seven days. So as well as the groom building the house during this 12 to 18 months, he's also expected to prepare for this wedding party that would last a whole week. So that means grab the food, grab the drinks, and you can almost guarantee that wine will be at this party because in the Bible, wine is a symbol of joy. You can look in Psalm 4 or Psalm 104 as two examples, but wine is a symbol of God's joy and blessing. So he's gonna to want to have wine at this party because he wants to show how there's gonna be blessing in this married life when they get married. So what we've got to take from this in this whole big ceremony that the wedding is a massive demonstration of the man's love and devotion to his wife and his status in the community. So as well as this, we need to consider that in ancient Israel, there was a big shame culture. So if you were doing something that wasn't expected of you or that was deemed beneath you, like they had no problem shaming you and making you outcasts in the town or village that you were in. Like imagine walking around 
and people always behind your back just saying bad stuff like have you seen that guy like he's wearing shorts outside in winter like what a freak and it's like yeah i know i also heard that he made ribena but he put the water in first and then the cordial it's like it's like how does he survive in this world so imagine stuff like that that 10 times worse back in ancient israel so if we have this understanding of what a wedding happened in ancient israel now let's look at the passages we've just read in 1 to 10 and see what we can take out. So one of the first things that we see is in verse 3, where Mary makes a big deal of the wine being run out. Like she notices, notices it, because in this big shame culture, she realises that in this big demonstration of the man who was supposed to prepare everything for this whole seven days, He's fallen short and the wedding party is going to have to end early because he's not given enough supplies. So does that mean, is this a replication of what's going to happen in married life? Will he not be able to provide everything? So this is a big deal back to them and Mary notices this. And what she does first of all is go to the person that can fix it, Jesus. And I think that's something we can take away. So in this man's massive Demo, uh, demonstration of his worthiness he's fallen short so when we get hard times we need to make an effort when we don't feel worthy or have fallen short to make this effort to first pray to the one who is over everything God so we've got Mary telling Jesus about the wine being run out and his reaction is kind of funny he first goes no he says woman why do you involve me and I can promise you, if I was to say that to my mom, this would have happened very differently. But in this instance, he doesn't do it out of a disrespect, but he does it because he understands what the bigger picture is. He knows his purpose and what he was called to do. And what he was called to do was to come to earth, to go to the cross and sacrifice himself, die, be buried and be resurrected back to life. He knew what he was supposed to do and how to get there but yet he still chose to help he still chose for this moment to be the first glimpse of his power and i think this is significant because he's given us an insight into who he is and what he was supposed to do like jesus wasn't just a man but he was god and i think the bible is awesome uh, in stuff like this because it gives us these little Easter eggs, these little Easter eggs that just point us to a bigger overarching story of the Bible, which is Jesus. Now an Easter egg is like a term used in movies where a movie would include something small like a piece of dialogue or an object or maybe some background or a scene that alludes to a different movie. So they would have these Easter eggs in the films that point us to maybe the next film and Pixar are one of the best at putting easter eggs into their films and these easter eggs are weaved in the movie narrative that points to the bigger picture of the Pixar company's future plans and what the next film is and if you don't believe me if you would go and watch Monsters Inc there's actually three references to Finding Nemo like there's some clownfish toys lying around or like in one of the wallpapers, it's all clownfish. And 
Finding Nemo was the film released two years after Monsters Inc. If you were to go and watch Finding Nemo, there is a, a reference to The Incredibles in The Dentist where the fish are all in the tank and you've got the boy just reading a comic book and just like... And on this comic book, there is a symbol of The Incredibles and The Incredibles is the film released a year after. So these Easter eggs are usually so small at first glance you wouldn't notice it, but only until you go back and look for them, they're just so obvious it's pointing to this bigger picture. And similarly, I think the Bible does this, and I think this story of Jesus turning water into wine is just that. It's Jesus pointing us to the bigger picture on the overall story of the Bible, of him coming to earth, sacrificing himself and being dead, dead buried <laughs> and raised to life again. The simple fact that this is at a wedding already does this. So another overarching theme of the Bible is this theme of a bride and groom. Jesus being the groom and the church, God's people, us being the bride. You can clearly see this in the book of the prophets. Jesus clearly uses this himself in Matthew 22 and 25. And many scholars believe that this event in Jesus turning water into wine is just that. He's pointing us to this overarching theme that remember when the man was supposed to provide everything for this wedding party and he falls short, Jesus steps in to rescue the day by, by providing the wine which a groom is supposed to provide, pointing to the fact that he is the ultimate groom that will provide everything. When the man fell short, Jesus was there to help. And if we were to look in John 1, which is the chapter before this event, John helps explain to us who Jesus is and what his purpose is on earth. So if we were to read in verses 16 to 18, it says, From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to give us grace and love in our lives. Like remember, wine is a symbol of joy and blessings. He's giving us the wine. He wants us to live in this way. Jesus is pointing to the fact where he will be the ultimate groom who can provide everything. And we can look at some more details in verses 1 to 10. If we'll go to John 2 verse 6, it tells us about these jars that he's used and that they were used for ceremonial washing. Now another ancient Israel custom was they washed their hands before meals, like, like we all do. But in this case, they used it to symbolise the cleansing of sin before the law of Moses. And the law of Moses is as most understand the Ten Commandments, so they would wash their hands to be seen right before this law. So this is where I think it gets so cool, because we know Jesus came to fulfil the law and fulfill the law and not abolish it. It says in Matthew 5 verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then we see Jesus filling up these jars that represent the law, like literally fulfilling the law, and he gives us something new and something better. Like we can look in verse 10, the master of the banquet tasted the wine that Jesus used and he immediately had to rush to the bridegroom to say, usually people give the choice wine first 
and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. So remember, the man is supposed to provide everything for this wedding party. And what they would do, because good wine is expensive, in this shame culture where they want to make a good impression of this demonstration to love and devotion and status in the community, they would serve the good wine where the taste buds matter and they're heightened. And then later on in this wedding, seven days where you're not really as fussed about the taste of the wine, they would water it down and serve cheaper wine, simply because it's cost effective. I mean, it's quite smart actually. So when the master of the banquet tastes the wine is even better than the first serving on the first day, like he can't believe it. He literally rushes over. It's like, how can you be so generous to give us wine that is better throughout these seven days? Like that is some sacrifice. But if we actually let the man provide, we would, we would have had cheaper wine or no wine. But with Jesus, we get great wine. And we can also look back in verse 6, it tells us more details about the jars that they can be filled to 20 and 30 gallons. And if we look in the Greek, which it was originally written, that means it's a lot. Like, it's the same, it's just a lot. Like, he's given us more than enough than we can ask for. Like, more than we would ever need. Like, more of what is new and what is better because we are new in Christ. Like Adam said in the first message of the Out for Delivery series we had, like we are new, made new in Christ. We are a new creation. We have a new reality in life. Because of Jesus, we are not no longer bound by the law of Moses, but a new law through Jesus who completed it and fulfilled it for us. It says in John 10 verse 10, that thieves will come to steal and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus sacrifices himself on the cross for us so that we can have an eternal life with him. That's the bigger picture. So we have seen there's a bigger picture in these details that point to this overarching story of the Bible, which is Jesus. And now I want to look at this verse 11 on its own. So in John chapter 2, verse 11, it says, just turn. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Like this miracle and everything else Jesus does could be summed up in this verse. And I want to particularly look at where it says he thus revealed his glory. So what we need to know is that God's glory is supremely his goodness. And his glory is best seen in Exodus 33 to 34, when Moses is on the mountain talking to God. And his glory is so much that he's having to cover his eyes because if God was to unleash it all, like we would literally die. And what is important to understand is that when Jesus performs signs and miracles, he does it to reveal his glory. And this is important because, again, it links to this overarching story of the Bible. In Genesis, in creation, God's glory would manifest and be enjoyed. To then we were being separated because of sin and brokenness. 
to the aim to one day God's glory would fill the earth again. If we were to look in Exodus, this is where we also get the law of Moses, like we mentioned before. We also get one of the most important passages where it tells us about the character of our God. So in Exodus 34 verse 6, it says, The compassionate and gracious Lord, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So glory here is being paralleled with love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness being his goodness, which is his glory, because his glory is supremely his goodness. If we were to look in John chapter 1 again, where John explains who Jesus is and what his purpose is on earth, in verse 14 it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We may we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came through the Father, full of grace and truth. And again, we see grace and truth that was mentioned in verses 16 to 18 that we read before. So what we get with this verse in John and the verse in Exodus is essentially the same thing. That God, Jesus, is full of love and faithfulness and full of grace and truth. So remember, we believe God and Jesus are the same, like one in being, but different in persons. If we were to look at the Hebrew word used in Exodus for love, this is hesed, which means a gracious covenant love. If we were to look at the Hebrew word used for faithfulness, this is emet. And when referring to words, this is faithful words, which is truth. So you can't have grace without love, and you can't have truth without faith. Like, they're one in the same. Jesus doing this reveals his glory to show us who he actually is. Like, he's not just a man who was able to get a lot of followers or become a historical figure. Like, he's God. Like, the Bible clearly tells us this. So what does this mean for us? So we know he is filled with love and faithfulness, grace and truth. So I've had the privilege of joining the Freedom in Christ group in our church. And in one of the meetings, we were talking about the importance of truth, the importance of what we choose to believe and how it affects us in our lives. Like it affects our actions and what we do. If we don't know truth, we can't live life to all it can be. Like we'll always be missing something without truth. If we take the story of David and Goliath, the Israel army was too afraid to fight Goliath because they were afraid of being beaten up. And probably true. But David was the only one who had the belief in the truth that God was bigger and that he would protect him. And it was through his belief in that truth that God came through. We could also look in 1 Kings where Elijah is arguing with other religious leaders uh, and they battle it out to like who's God's real, who's God's more powerful. And they battle it out with like this sacrifice battle to prove whose God was the true God. There was only one truth that came out of that. And this is important because truth in, our, in and of itself is fact. Like truth can't be subjective. Like if it was subjective, there wouldn't be any truth. And if there was no truth, there would be no right and wrong, 
there'd be no justice, there'd be no hope, there'd be no reason, like for reason itself. Like we need to want to search for this truth. And I can guarantee that when searching for this truth and looking through the story of Jesus and who Jesus is, he will fulfill every single one of it. He is what truth is. And I'm not saying this to be arrogant or to say like, this is the right way. But honestly, I just want you to be able to want to search for yourself in what you believe is true. Because myself as well as the church just wants the chance for everybody to live saved in this peace-filled, love-giving, abundant life that only Jesus can offer. As it says in John 8 verse 32, the truth will set you free. So we have looked in this passage as I'm about to finish, <laughs> as I'm about to finish my message. So we have seen in the first verses that when we fall short, just like the groom did, that Jesus is there. He is our saviour and our strength to help pick us up. He, we have seen that in the details of this passage, it's pointing us to this larger overarching story of the Bible, which is Jesus. Jesus, who came on earth to sacrifice, pay his blood as a sacrifice for our sin, fulfilling the old law and taking it away to give us something new and better. And on, honestly, all we need to do is take our lives right now and turn away from the brokenness and the hurt and just give it to him. And what this means for us is what it was meant for all along. If we read in John 20 verse 30, this is what it was meant for. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let me pray. So Lord, I thank you that you have given us your word. I thank you that embedded in its narrative is just telling us of this larger story of saving humanity through Jesus. And I pray that us listening to this, that we can choose to make a decision to believe what is true. And I pray for those that are hearing about you for the first time or maybe the hundredth time that if they're listening and they feel your presence and they have this urge to take a step of faith into trusting you, I pray that in this they just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. And I, I pray that we are encouraged and that you can continue to bless us as we continue to choose to follow you. Amen. Thanks church. I hope you found this message insightful and encouraging as I have, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your holidays. You've been listening to a weekly message from Light Church. If you would like any more information, you can find us online or on social media. Thanks for listening.